Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 9th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skern & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get started with our litigation report. The U.S. Department of Justice reports $4.7 billion in settlements and judgments from civil cases involving fraud and false claims during the budget year. This amount is much higher than the $3.5 billion reported the prior year, and more than half of the nearly $5 billion came from the healthcare industry fraud cases, including drug companies, medical device companies, hospitals, nursing homes, laboratories, and physicians. The False Claims Act gives authorities the power to fight fraud in a wide variety of industries receiving federal funds. It also includes financial incentives for whistleblowers to file fraud lawsuits on behalf of the government. The largest recoveries this last year, $1.2 billion, came from the drug and medical device industry. Drug manufacturers Wyeth and Pfizer paid $784.6 million to resolve federal and state claims that Wyeth knowingly reported false and fraudulent prices on two drugs used to treat acid reflux, Protonix Oral and Protonix IV. The government alleged that Wyeth, before it was acquired by Pfizer, failed to report deep discounts available to hospitals as required by law. Wyeth paid $413.2 million to the federal government and $371.4 million to state Medicaid programs. In another settlement, Novartis Pharmaceuticals paid $390 million based on claims that the company gave kickbacks to specialty pharmacies in return for recommending Xjade, an iron chelating drug, and Myfortic, an anti-rejection drug for kidney transplant recipients. The settlement includes $306.9 million for the federal government and $83.1 million for state Medicaid programs. Hospitals and outpatient clinics accounted for $360 million in recoveries. Tenant Healthcare, a major hospital chain in the United States, paid $244.2 million to resolve civil allegations that four of its hospitals engaged in a scheme to defraud the United States by paying kickbacks in return for patient referrals. Tenant paid an additional $123.7 million to state Medicaid programs, and two of its subsidiaries pleaded guilty to related charges and forfeited $145 million, bringing the total resolution for them to $513 million. In the medical lab arena, Millennium Health paid $260 million to settle allegations that it billed federal health care programs for excessive and unnecessary urine, drug, and genetic testing, and also that it gave free items to induce physicians to refer expensive and profitable lab tests to Millennium in violation of the anti-kickback statute and Stark Law. The settlement included $214.8 million in alleged false claims against federal programs, $26 million in alleged false claims against state Medicaid programs, and $19.2 million in related administrative claims. The nation's largest contract therapy provider paid $125 million to resolve claims that it had induced skilled nursing homes to submit false claims to Medicare for rehabilitation services that were not reasonable, 
necessary, and skilled, and that weren't provided at all. The settlement was with Rehab Care Group Incorporated, Rehab Group East Incorporated, and their parent, Kindred Healthcare Incorporated. Cases involving nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities accounted for more than $160 million in settlements and judgments this past fiscal year. The number of lawsuits filed under the key time provisions of the Act has grown significantly since 1986, with 702 key time suits filed this past year, an average of 13.5 new cases every week. And now our crime report. The federal government saw a spike in utilization in the prescription compounding industry that led investigators to an estimated $2 billion in fraud in claims nationally beginning in 2013. Across the country, compounding pharmacies were charging as much as $10,000 to $20,000 each for prescriptions. And some hired marketers who used Facebook and other social media to target military families, enticing them with inclusion and research studies and telling them of creams and salves that were pain relievers. The cost to actually compound these creams was often only about 5% of the retail cost. Thus, compounding pharmacies were making in the range of 90% profit on each prescription. TRICARE costs for compound drugs skyrocketed over a 10-year period from $5 million in 2004 to $514 million in 2014. And costs topped $1 billion in the first six months of 2015. TRICARE went to Congress for help so the agency could make the payments. And then rules were changed to make pre-approvals of compound prescriptions more stringent. The agency was also on track to lose $2 billion in 2015 alone until the controls were put in place last May. And now the promise of criminal prosecutions has materialized. In Arizona, a dozen doctors, pharmacy owners, and marketing pros are accused of a kickback scheme that prosecutors allege involved a sham medical study used to bilk up to $102 million from the publicly funded federal health programs. Federal prosecutors said the scheme involved prescribing compounded drugs such as pain, scar, and migraine creams to military families covered by TRICARE, the federal health insurance program for active duty and retired military. There have been at least two other federal probes alleging pharmacies paid kickbacks to doctors who ordered expensive compounded drugs for patients. One involved a California pharmacy that billed the state's workers' compensation program for pricey markups. In another, a Florida doctor was indicted on a charge of taking kickbacks for sending prescriptions that cost as much as $21,000 for a one-month supply. The Texas case centered on a Dallas-based company called CMGRX, or Compound Marketing Group. Federal prosecutors allege that the marketing group arranged kickbacks to doctors who prescribed drugs from four compounding pharmacies. Tricar enrollees were paid for so-called study grants of $250 per month for each prescription they obtained from a partner pharmacy. The defendants falsely represented 
that the study was approved by TRICARE and that it was designed to evaluate the safety and efficacy of compounded drugs. But the study was not approved by TRICARE, was not overseen by qualified researchers, had no control group, and was not designed to gather any useful scientific data. Doctors were paid $60 for each pain or scar cream prescription or $30 for each vitamin prescription. The marketing group employees would contact TRICARE's pharmacy benefits consultant Express Scripts to find out whether certain drugs were covered. These employees then would adjust the prescriptions to maximize payments from TRICARE without any regard for the medical necessity for the prescriptions. And in regulatory news, the WCIRB has completed an analysis of allocated loss adjustment expense cost trends in California workers' compensation. Allocated loss adjustment expense costs are the costs of handling claims that can be attributed to an individual claim. The cost of administering and settling workers' compensation claims are a significant component of advisory pure premium rates developed by the WCIRB. Allocated cost adjustment expense levels have historically been much higher in California than in other states, and these costs have increased sharply over the last several years despite implementation of many of the components of Senate Bill 863 intended to reduce them. The major findings of the WCIRB report shows that allocated loss adjustment expense costs per claim have increased by more than five-fold in the last 25 years. In addition, despite the implementation of SB 863 in 2013, these costs have increased by 20% since 2012. California costs as a percentage of losses are far the highest of any state and more than twice the countrywide median. Other interstate comparisons suggest that the differences in California costs are largely related to activities that occur later in the life of a claim. Recent increases in the average lost allocated expense levels are related to both increases in the frequency of claims involving significant costs in addition to the average cost on those claims. Although the majority of claims with significant costs occur in the Los Angeles Basin area, recent increases in these costs have occurred broadly throughout California. Cumulative injury claims are much more likely to involve significant allocated loss adjustment expense costs than non-cumulative injury claims, and these types of claims have been growing faster than other types of claims. The full report on this issue is available in the Research and Analysis section of the WCIRB website. The DWC and the WCAB have made changes to lien and attorney fee disclosure statement requirements, which went into effect on January 1. The changes were made to implement provisions of Senate Bill 1160 and Assembly Bill 1244. The DWC amended the lien form, which includes the required declaration affirming eligibility under penalty of perjury as required by the newly enacted Labor Code section. All liens filed after January 1 must use this new form. The new lien form and their required declaration are now available for all e-filers and jet filers. 
All filers that must pay the filing fee are required to fill out the declaration and liens filed without the declaration will be dismissed. Also available for e-filers and jet filers is a declaration for all liens filed before January 1, 2017 that require a filing fee under Labor Code Section 4903.05 as mandated by SB 1160. The declaration, which must include information on the type of services provided by the lien claimant, must be filed by July 1, 2017. The WCAB has posted new rules on their requirement and has scheduled a public hearing on the proposed regulations. SB 1160 also requires that all lien claimants file an original bill with their lien starting on January 1. The DWC has also revised the attorney fee disclosure statement to comply with new requirements introduced by AB 1244, which amended Labor Code Section 4906. An amended form with the required information is now posted on the DWC's website. The DWC announced that the 2017 minimum and maximum temporary total disability rates increased again on January 1. The Labor Code requires that the rate for TTD be increased by an amount equal to the percentage increase in the state average weekly wage as compared to the prior year. The state average weekly wage is defined as the average weekly wage paid to employees covered by unemployment insurance as reported by the U.S. Department of Labor for California for the 12 months ending March 31 in the year preceding the date of injury. In the 12 months ending March 31, 2016, the state average weekly wage increased just under 3.912%. Accordingly, the minimum TTD rate will increase from $169.26 to $175.88, and the maximum TTD rate will increase from $1,128.43 to $1,172.57 per week. Workers with a date of injury after 2003 who are receiving life pensions or permanent total disability benefits are also entitled to have their weekly rate adjusted based upon the state average weekly wage increase. And in financial news, the city of Santa Monica's costs for workers' compensation rose sharply last year, prompting a warning by the city's finance director that a 53% increase in funding likely will be needed soon. The city spent approximately $9.3 million on medical treatment and indemnity payments for injured employees in the 2015-2016 fiscal year. That was a 22% increase from the previous year, mostly due to the aging of its workforce, especially in its police and fire departments and its bus system. The city has 564 cases still on its books, a number that finance director said has been steady in recent years. Although the city made some modest gains, such as slowing the frequency of claims in some departments, the improvements were eclipsed by higher program expenses such as cash flow and total liabilities or the value of all open claims from 1979 forward. 
the city's few spots of good news were completely overshadowed by substantial growth in the average cost per claim because of higher permanent and temporary disability expenses. Moreover, officials say the city's claim profile is cause for concern. A high frequency of continuous trauma-oriented injuries coupled with an aging workforce suggests that program costs will continue to rise well into the future. Both temporary and permanent disability cases were the city's biggest problem. The report claimed climbing costs for permanent disability expenses uh, based on SB 863 that mandated an overall 30% hike in the award schedule was the cause. It rose 64% from $1.4 million last fiscal year to $2.6 million this year for the city. Temporary disability costs grew as well, driven by the lengthening amount of time employees of the fire department and Big Blue Bus System were granted to recover from injuries. But a particularly difficult problem for Santa Monica is the dominance of continuous trauma-oriented injuries, which are common among the city's aging workforce. Last year, the city settled 131 claims for a total of more than $3.2 million, an increase of almost 80% from the $1.8 million paid out for 98 settlements the prior year. Most of the increase occurred in the fire department, followed by the police department and the big blue bus. The city's workers' compensation self-insurance fund for the 2017-2018 year will need to be increased by $7.1 million, or 53%, to maintain an adequate confidence level. Santa Monica has approximately 2,200 full-time employees. And in other news, a future in which human workers are replaced by machines is about to become a reality at an insurance company in Japan where more than 30 employees are being laid off and replaced with an artificial intelligence system. Fukuoka Mutual Life Insurance believes it will increase productivity by 30% and see a return on its investment in less than two years. The insurance firm said it would save about 140 million yen a year after the 200 million yen artificial intelligence system is installed this month. Maintaining it will cost about 15 million yen per year. The move is unlikely to be welcomed by the 34 employees who will be made redundant by the artificial intelligence. The system is based on IBM's Watson Explorer, which supposedly possesses cognitive technology that can think like a human. It is able to analyze and interpret data, including unstructured text, images, audio, and video. The technology will be able to read tens of thousands of medical certificates and factor in the length of hospital stays, medical histories, and any surgical procedures before calculating the insurance company payouts. But in an abundance of caution, the sums will not be paid until they have been approved by a member of the staff. Japan's shrinking and aging population coupled with its prowess in robot technology makes it a prime testing ground for artificial intelligence. According to a 2015 report by the Nomura Research Institute, nearly half of all jobs in Japan could be performed by robots by 2035. 
Die Itchy Life Insurance has already introduced an IBM Watson-based system to assess payments, although it has not cut staff members. And Japan Post Insurance is interested in introducing a similar setup. The IBM Watson system is a question-answering computer capable of answering questions posed in natural language. The computer system was specifically developed to answer questions on the quiz show Jeopardy. In 2011, Watson competed on Jeopardy against former winners Brad Rutter and Ken Jennings. Watson received the first place prize of $1 million. In 2013, IBM announced that Watson Software Systems' first commercial application would be for utilization management decisions in lung cancer treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in conjunction with health insurance company WellPoint. IBM Watson's former business chief said that 90% of nurses in the field who use Watson now follow its guidance. In 2014, IBM announced it was creating a business unit around the Watson product. The IBM Watson Group has headquarters in New York's Silicon Alley and will employ 2,000 people. IBM has invested $1 billion to fund the division. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for any news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skern, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.